we've come together here to meditate but there's more to that than just sitting on a pillow with one's legs crossed and that's what we're going to discuss in the next nine days meditation has to be integrated into a spiritual discipline it's not a thing in itself and it doesn't have any chance of success unless it is integrated unless it is part of a whole direction in one's life part of a whole undertaking in one's life and one has to understand which way one is turning and having done that one also has to love it if one doesn't love it one isn't going to keep it up which is one of the pitfalls of it as we can see on those sheets that people fill out at the beginning of a course it happens everywhere and it happens to practically everyone because it does seem as if meditation is something extra something that isn't all that necessary for one's life not like eating or sleeping or shopping or working or going to the bank or driving the car or having it repaired it all seems so much more important is it really? at this point in time it may become quite clear that it isn't all that much more important but out there it does appear to be and therefore one needs a very strong inner connection to what one is doing and the Buddha has explained all that in detail and the genius of the Buddha's teaching lies in the fact that it's pragmatic realistic geared to ordinary people like ourselves easy to understand but difficult to follow but at least we can understand it and that's already an enormous advantage we are blessed with heart and mind with knowing and feeling and if we don't use both we're shortchanging ourselves as if we were a two hop on one leg instead of walking on both if we were to use only one leg we wouldn't make much progress would we and it's very tiring and we would soon stop this is what happens to people with meditation they don't use the full faculties that we have and therefore it becomes tedious difficult and one soon stops stops and starts starts and stops 
but it doesn't have the required or the possible result. We don't do that with the things we need for our body. We know very well that we need to eat and drink. And we do that three times a day. And we don't start and stop. We just do it. We hardly ever think of not doing so. And we go to bed at night and sleep. We don't start and stop. We don't sometimes go to bed at night and sleep, and other times we don't. If it ever should happen that we don't, we feel miserable the next day. We look after the body in that way. We also find some suitable medicine when it doesn't feel well, and we give it some sort of exercise so that the limbs don't atrophy. We wash it. We don't just do that sometimes. We do that all the time, every day. And we wash the clothes that we wear. wouldn't dream of stopping and starting with all that sort of thing. And yet, when it comes to our mind, which is far more important because it is the instigator of what our body does. We don't have such a regular plan for it. Most people take potlucks and that's where the meditation then falters. If we need a rest for the body that everybody needs we need a rest for the mind far worse the mind thinks all day and dreams all night no wonder we feel stressed and strained overworked because the mind is far too busy we would like to have some peace in the mind. We'd like to have some quiet. The only way we can get that is through meditation. At night, the body gets a rest, but not the mind. When the body doesn't feel very comfortable, the mind gives orders to move it. Nobody lies still, even at night. But the body cannot move without the mind saying so. The only way that we will ever have a kind of rest and a kind of renewal and energy that we would like to have in the mind which brings clarity and peace is through the meditative process. But just as the body goes to bed at night every night, not once in a while, and just as it eats three times a day, not once in a while, the same is meditation. It can only work if we do it every day. Every day 
more than once preferably as we will be doing here and if we can get a good understanding of the reason for meditation and also maybe a handle on concentration we might have a chance to continue without fear because we may be able to fathom the difference that it makes when the mind is able to rest to become calm and peaceful joyful without any outer condition to induce it to have the ability to get near to one's own inner purity and this is why meditation cannot spend alone it has to have a discipline of purification surrounding it the trouble with our minds is that we think all sorts of things we don't sort it out that we were only going to think wholesome and helpful thoughts anything the mind comes up with anything and because of that we are not acquainted with the inner purity which makes it possible to have inner peace makes it possible to have joy and contentment without getting any outside conditions to induce that all the things that humanity is searching for in the world every one of us carries within we've all got it the only question is how to get at it and that's what we're going to try and do here to get at it and in order to do that of course we have to let go of all the other things that we usually carry around thoughts plans hopes ideas memories and particularly opinions the less of those the more of a chance we've got with that comes a very important precondition for meditation a precondition for meditation is a balancing act a balancing act which applies to the whole of the teaching it's called the middle way or the middle path or the middle direction not because it is something that is going down in the middle of our minds or something like that but because we need to be balanced we can't be extreme in any direction we can't be extreme in our 
energy nor can we be extreme in our latitude. We have to balance ourselves all the time. So this middle way of the Buddha's teaching is the very first order of the day for successful meditation. And what we need to balance are called the five spiritual faculties. They turn into spiritual powers once we have balanced and completed them where they become part of our inner life. At this point, we need to practice them so that they become more and more our way of being. These five spiritual faculties and five spiritual powers are ten of the 37 factors of enlightenment. So you can see that they're very important. And the balancing act, everybody has to do for themselves, just as we have to meditate for ourselves. But it's essential that we know what we need to balance within us. And the very first thing that stands out as the epitome of practice is what is called mindfulness bare attention paying attention knowing exactly now that is the very first thing that we have to grapple with it means also being wide awake to oneself It is the one way for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of pain, grief, and lamentation, for the final elimination of all dukkha. Dukkha is everything that's unsatisfactory. For entering the noble path, for realizing nirvana. This is the Buddha's description of mindfulness their attention. The five spiritual powers are symbolized by a team of five horses of which there is a lead horse, mindfulness, which can go as fast as it wants to or as slow as it needs to. And then there are two pairs and those have to be completely balanced. Otherwise, the whole cart will topple. Mindfulness is the one important one at this point, because it's that what we're going to practice in the meditation and outside of meditation. We can't expect our mind to concentrate and really meditate if we allow it to do what it wishes all the time that we don't sit down on the pillow. We have to keep it in check 
the whole of the day, especially in a retreat like this. So that when we do sit down to meditate, it is already geared towards concentration. Mindfulness is the mental quality which makes concentration possible. They are not one and the same. Mindfulness is something we can practice all day long. Real concentration happens when the mind becomes totally one-pointed. Mindfulness outside of the meditation hall is first of all geared towards the body. And this is the very first one that we're going to concern ourselves with. Mindfulness of the body. And there's two things happening with the body. One are our actions that we deliberately think about and want to do. And the other are the movements. Now there are innumerable movements in our daily activities which are necessary. Mindfulness of those movements. Getting up, standing up, walking to the door, pulling down the handle of the door, opening the door, walking through, closing the door, walking up the steps, going to the bathroom, doing all the necessary things in the bathroom, watching each movement, eating, sitting down, pulling out the chair, <coughs> getting the spoon, putting it in the, in the bowl. There are thousands and thousands of movements. Why does it purify beings? Because we can either be mindful or we can have dislikes or wishes or regrets or we can have all sorts of negative ideas or we can have wanting or rejecting ideas or we can be mindful. We are fortunate enough that we can't have two things in the mind at the same time. It's either mindful or something else. So the first thing to do is to learn and to practice mindfulness of the body. The Buddha said, who does not practice mindfulness of the body will have no door to the deathless. Now the deathless is just another word for Nibbana and Nibbana is the goal of the practice and we can translate it as complete freedom, liberation, complete loss of all unsatisfactory <coughs> and unhappy reactions, complete loss of dukkha. Dukkha is the one word I'm going to use in Pali, D-U-K-K-H-A, because in English, we need a whole string of words, or very long words, in order to translate it. 
Pali breathing, two syllables, and it means all that means everything we don't like, but particularly it means that there is no complete fulfillment, total satisfaction within us. There's always something else that we'd rather have. If we sit, we'd like to lie down. If we lie down, we want to get up. If we are awake, we'd like to go to sleep, and so on. But there's far more than that that's what we'd like. Mindfulness of the body during the daily activity outside of the meditation hall is an essential factor of the meditation practice because the mind cannot shift from being totally mindless to being totally mindful without having great difficulty. It needs to be given the most opportunity and this is the opportunity watching oneself. There's no way that we can be unhappy when we're mindful. No way we can be negative. It is the one way for the purification of being. Meditation practice is purification in itself. But if we don't support it in the daily activity, it will not come to fruition. Meditation is purification in itself because every single moment of concentration is one moment of purification. Again, during the time of concentration, we cannot possibly be either wanting or disliking. We're either concentrated or doing something else with our mind. It's an automatic purification system, but it's not enough, and it will not come to fruition unless we practice mindfulness of the body outside of the meditation hall. There are other ways of practicing mindfulness, but that's the beginning. That's extremely important. With that comes also the meditation method which we're going to use, which is also mindfulness of the body. And there are other methods. The Buddha taught 40 methods of meditation. We're not going to do 40 methods in such a short time. We're going to do a few. The different methods are also for different results. They're also for different characters of people. But there are some that are suitable for everyone. But no matter what the method, there are only two directions. And unless we understand this clearly, the whole business of meditation remains a muddle. And if we don't understand it clearly, we won't be able to love it. And if we don't love it, we won't be able to stick with it. We have to use heart and mind. The two directions are calm and insight. In Pali, samatha and vipassana. Vipassana means insight. It's not a method, it's a result. 
it's where we're going to. But it needs summertime. It needs peace and calm in the mind. Without a calm mind, the insight will not be really fruitful. There will be insights even without a calm mind, insights which are different from what we get in the world, but they will not be deep and profound enough. This can be compared to a lake or an ocean where there are waves and when there are waves all we can see is the water of the waves we have to wait till those waves are calm again and the water is smooth in order to look into the depths of it when it's totally smooth, we can see the bottom of the lake and see what is there. It's the same with our mind. As long as it's still going from here to there, up and down, sitting on its own emotions and having all these different ideas, we can't look into the depths of it. We can only see the surface. Therefore, calm is the means and insight is the goal. Most people come to meditation because they'd like to have some peace and quiet in the mind. For some people, it's easier than for others. Most people have to practice quite a while. But there are many ways and means of using the meditation so that there are some results even when it feels as if the mind hasn't become quiet again or not quite enough. All the methods which we are using have only those two directions. There is nothing else meditation except that calm and insight and we have to know what we're practicing we have to know which one we're practicing in order to have a clear passage it is necessary to understand what we're doing in the first place and then have one of those spiritual faculties <coughs> as a very strong incentive to help us namely confidence if we don't have confidence we will be beset with doubt and being beset with doubt we will constantly have something in mind in order to justify the doubt. Confidence is a matter of the heart. Understanding is a matter of the mind. 
If the heart is not engaged, the mind hasn't got a chance. The two have to work together. Confidence is, first of all, confidence in oneself. That one knows one can do it. And even if it doesn't work at first, one tries again. One knows one can do it. There isn't a single person in the whole world who is what we call of normal capacity, mental capacity, that couldn't become totally concentrated. It's a matter of effort and a matter of time. So we have to have first self-confidence that we can do it. And then we have to have confidence in the guidelines that are being given in order to do them exactly. Only those people who follow instructions and exactly will have any success. All others will flounder. Because one has heard this, one has heard that. And one will go from this to that and try a bit here and try a bit there. It's like having a lot of little bits to eat instead of having a full meal. The Buddha's instructions are clear and precise. There's no question of what he said about meditation and how to do it. After his Parinibbana, after his death, two and a half thousand years ago, many different streams of instruction started because of cultural differences. But the original instructions are clear and precise and simple. So there's confidence absolutely essential because it's a loving devotion to one's own practice. If there isn't that, it doesn't work. If it's there, it does. It's very interesting to see that one who can give him or herself to the practice will have very quick results. Because this is the problem in meditation. We'd like to have peace and quiet in the mind. But in order to have that, we've got to stop thinking. And when we stop thinking, we don't have any support for our self-illusion. Nobody there to say what we're doing, how clever we are, or how stupid we are. There's nobody there who's saying, this is you doing it. And this is what we have to be able to give up. And only then can meditation start. And therefore, it's absolutely necessary to have that confidence to let go. To let go of the self-supporting, continuous talk in the mind, which will again and again be nothing but the underwriting of I'm here 
and I'm doing this. It's only when we can let go completely that meditation starts. Therefore, that loving confidence of knowing this is a true teaching I can have. No holding back. It's all right to let my mind be completely quiet. Only that will work. Everybody would like it. Very few people are able to give themselves to it. And that's what's needed, to give oneself to it. If one can give oneself to it completely and cut out, all the support systems that we usually use in order to make sure that we are somebody and are here, then it works very well. And then when it has worked, we enter into a realm of consciousness which is different from our marketplace consciousness with which we usually operate every day of our lives. That one is well known to everybody and it's never satisfactory. It doesn't have anything in it that could possibly give us peace, contentment, or that what we're born of. It is always concerned with duality. We have a different consciousness within us. Everybody has it. Meditation is the only way to get at it. These are two of the five spiritual faculties which I will talk about uh, again in order to explain the others. And also, mindfulness has more to it than just the body. But we'll start with that. And confidence is not blind faith. It is an ability to give oneself completely to what one is doing. No holds barred. As soon as that is possible, one also has a different attitude towards the practice. That attitude is the only way that the mind can ever change its level of consciousness. The attitude of knowing that there's far more to human life than all the things that we see in the world and touch with our senses, which includes thinking. If thinking would get us there, we'd all be there already. We've been thinking for years on end. And quite well, I'm sure. I'm sure we're all quite able to think well. It doesn't get us there. It's the experiencing that will. And in order to have the real benefit from experience, we have to understand our experience. So it's the understood experience 
that will change our inner life and with it our whole world view. In order to have a successful meditation course, it's necessary to keep noble silent, which means that we will probably be talking to ourselves because the mind doesn't just stop just because we stop talking to each other. But at least we're giving it a chance. If we were to talk to each other, we wouldn't have a chance. Now there are, of course, always question times here in the hall, and everyone has a personal interviews with me about the meditation. And any questions which are needed can always be asked. But it's the discussions with each other which are fatal. It's an inner journey. And in order to see what's going on within, we have to look and not talk. If there's any physical needs, I'm sure the managers have already said that they can be asked about that, but also not in order to have a conversation, but only because something is needed. This is a very important aspect of a meditation course because it shows us also what our mind does because we can listen to it, tell stories, and eventually we may be able to tell it to stop. Some of the meditation instructions will be known to some of you, but I will explain them in detail in a moment. But before that, we're going to have to need someone to ring the gong. Have we already got that or not? Okay. We'd, I'd need a volunteer to ring the gong when it's time for, cert, for to come here to the hall, when it's time for the food and so on. Now, who would like to do that? If we don't have a gonger, we don't have a course. Okay, Pat. Uh, if after some days you would like to be relieved of that, you can just tell me and we'll ask for another volunteer, okay? And I'll give you the um, uh, schedule. I have it lying here, okay? And you have a clock? this is also an important aspect of the meditation course that we sit together for the group meditation. There are plenty of times for individual meditation where you can go off and sit wherever you like. But the group meditation together is also helpful because as people start meditating properly, the group energy is helpful. And it is also a discipline 
meditation is science of the mind it is the discipline of the mind it is not allowing the mind to do what it just pleases we're going to use the breath as our first meditation subject it is particularly suitable because it is intrinsically connected to the mind when we are upset or in a hurry the breath goes heavy and fast and if the mind becomes calm the breath becomes calm too and finer and finer until eventually it becomes so fine that we may not be able to find it when that takes place we can stop the method and start the meditation watching the breath is not yet the meditation it's a method and the mind needs a method unfortunately our minds are not capable of just sitting down and being quiet they need something to latch onto instead of thinking so we're going to use the breath now if anyone has been using the breath for years on end in a particularly way and it has been successful which means that the mind becomes very quiet go right ahead and do it otherwise I will now tell you different ways of using the breath so that you choose one of these methods in order to help the mind to stay focused. You can see every time when the mind runs off onto a thought that it has lost its focus. So therefore, we need some crutches for the mind. See, the mind is used to having all sorts of ideas. It's used to having all sorts of input because it uses, we use our senses all the time. We see something, we hear something, we taste something, we touch something, we smell something, or we think something. And all that input is digested by the mind and explained by the mind and that's its usual way of behavior so when it's told to just watch the breath it balks at that it's not interesting enough it wants something a little more so we need to offer it a little more than just the breath for those of you who like numbers count one on the in-breath one on the out-breath two on the in-breath two on the out-breath no further than ten starting in with one every time get a distracting thought back to one not trying to figure out when you remember that 
you were meditating, whether you got as far as four or eight or nine or six or whatever, back to one. It doesn't matter. It's nothing but a crutch. For those who don't like numbers that much but prefer words, use the words. You can use, for instance, love on the inward, peace on the outward. If the Buddha means something to you, you can use Buddha, which means to the Buddha. Good on the in-breath, ho on the out-breath. If you know another word which is not meaningful to you, or which you have used before, which you like, by all means use it. If you like to use only one, peace on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath, do so. It's not very um, helpful to use long words or many of them. Short ones and only one or a two-syllable one divided into two is the best. So love and peace or just peace or buddho, these are all very good possibilities. Always together with the breath. Now, if you don't like numbers, and you don't like words so much, maybe if you have a mind which is visually inclined, and you probably know your mind well enough to realize whether you see everything in pictures, maybe in technicolor, then imagine that the breath is like an ocean wave. The ocean wave coming in with the breath, the ocean wave going out with the breath. You can make the ocean wave look that later. It's labeling of distracting thoughts. This is a must. As soon as the thought arises and takes you away from the meditation, give it a label. If it's so fleeting that you're right back on the breath, that's not necessary. That's highly unlikely in the beginning. Some who practice every day, yes. The label is either future, past, wanting, hoping, planning, remembering, worrying, nonsense, fantasy, dreams, any label will do. Don't search for the right one. Any label. Why is that so important? First of all, the one who is labeling is an objective observer and is no longer the thinker and therefore the thought <coughs> collapses. And one can go back to the breath. Secondly, one sees how totally unnecessary and useless most thoughts are and one stops believing all one's thoughts in daily life. When one no longer believes them, one can change them. One need not keep the ones that make one unhappy.
Imagine never having a thought again that makes one unhappy. Wouldn't that be nice? Labeling is the only way to ever get it. Namely, having learned to label in meditation, we take that skill into daily life with us. And as we label thoughts in daily life, we will see quite clearly that some are unwholesome, unproductive, not beneficial. And since we have in meditation substituted all our distracting thoughts with the breath, we have learned the skill of substitution. And therefore, when we label in daily life, we can substitute the unwholesome and the unskillful thought with a wholesome one. And as we do that more and more, we purify. And as we purify more and more, our life changes completely. And as we purify more and more, meditation becomes much easier. Meditation is depending on purification, but also a purification system. So the labeling is a most important learning aspect, especially when our minds are being distracted to the point of running off and telling stories and having quite a time getting back to the breath. If it should be just like a fleeting cloud and have no substance to it, don't try to find the substance. That would be distracting. But in the beginning, most people's thoughts have quite a lot of substance to them and take them off the meditation. So labeling. As far as the sitting is concerned, we sit with the legs in the best possible way that we can keep them that way, that we don't have to shift too much. When an unpleasant sensation arises from the sitting position, not to immediately change the position instinctively, but to first become aware of what has happened, that we have an unpleasant sensation and don't like it and want to get away from it. And then take the mind off it and bring it back to the breath. Everybody can do that for some time. And from that we learn that if we don't put our mind on the unpleasantness, but on something which is useful and wholesome, we can do that. It gives us a great deal of self-confidence that we don't have to be thrown by unpleasant sensations. Then when the mind says, that's all very well, but I can't sit like that any longer, change your position slowly, gently, so that you, first of all, don't disturb your own mind too much and don't disturb your neighbor too much. And admit to yourself that you have been the victim of your own unpleasant sensations. That's fine. We're the victims of our own unpleasant sensations constantly without ever knowing it so clearly. Here, the difference is that we know it clearly. It's perfectly all right. It's not a cause for blame. 
is the cause for knowing. Meditation makes it possible for us to know, to know how we act and react. This is how we will start with the meditation and outside of meditation, mindfulness of the body, actions and movements. Now before we do our first meditation together, are there any questions? Anything that hasn't been clear or that I have omitted to say? Anything that you want to ask about at this point? Are you sitting comfortably without it? No. Well, sit on it. How's that? You feel better? Yeah. I got the idea of it. <laughs> Anything else? The hands, okay. Um, it is not a must uh, in this tradition to have them in any particular way other than either one on top of the other in the lap, lap or on your knees or you can have them together like this if you like. Whatever feels disciplined. The mind in the meditation is also dependent upon a disciplined body position. So we don't want to be tense and we don't want to make the body um, our main object, but we want to keep it in a position which tells, tells us that we have kept are disciplined together. So it's possible like this, it's possible like this, it's possible like this. But you can choose. You choose which one. Okay? Yes. Right. You'd like an interview soon. <laughs> All right. Well, tell me your first name and then I can uh, uh, look at that. Tell me your first Sally. name. Hmm? Sally. Sally. Okay. Right. We, we start with the interviews tomorrow afternoon and I will call the name. Okay. Was there somebody else that had the hand up? I thought I saw another one, maybe not. Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment.
And now imagine that you have a beautiful white lotus flower growing in your heart, which opens all its petals until it's fully open. And out of the center of the beautiful flower in your heart comes a golden stream of light, which fills you from head to toe warmth and light and love and it surrounds you with a feeling of contentment and well-being in which you can sit feeling well protected. the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to the person sitting nearest you in this hall filling him or her with warmth and light and love and surrounding him or her with contentment well-being the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to everyone here filling everyone with the warmth from your heart with light and love and surrounding everyone with contentment and a feeling of well-being giving back as a gift from your heart Now think of your parents, whether they're still alive or not. And let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to their heart, filling them with love and light, 
surrounding them with gratitude and with a sense of well-being. Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you, those you may be living with. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to their heart, filling them with warmth and light and love, embracing them with a sense of contentment and well-being as a gift from you without expecting the same in return. Think of all your good friends. Let them arise before your mind's eye. And let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to them, filling them and embracing them with warmth and love and light. Letting them feel your care and your friendship. Now think of your neighbors at home, your colleagues at work, the people you meet in everyday life. And let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to them, filling them from head to toe with warmth and light and love and surrounding and embracing them 
contentment and well-being. Think of anyone with whom you may have difficulties. And you find hard to love or to get on with. And let the golden stream of light in the center of your heart have no blockages. Let reach out to that person too, so that there's no difficulty in your own heart, filling him or her with warmth and light and love, surrounding him or her with your care, your concern. imparting a sense of well-being. Open your heart as wide as you can and let the golden stream of light flow out of it. To beings near and far. Filling them with the warmth from your heart, with your love and your care. Let it flow like a golden stream which reaches to people's hearts as far as the strength of your heart will go. First in this area, the people around here making that connection, feeling the togetherness, going further afield, villages, towns and cities all over this country.
giving you the gift of your heart as far as you can reach. Put your attention back on yourself. And feel the joy that comes from giving and loving. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart fill you from head to toe with joy and contentment surround you with love and a sense of well-being. Let the golden stream of light go back inside the lotus flower which closes its petals and then anchor the lotus flower in your heart so that it may become one with it. May all beings have love in their heart. 